0: Brothers and sisters, as you know, Psalm 23 is a famous passage of Scripture. It's known even by those who are not Christian often. And for that reason, I had always avoided preaching on it. I felt that no sermon could do it justice. Of course, this one won't either. But when one of our new members joined our church, from the community. And she professed her faith. She asked me to preach on this psalm, and of course I had to agree. And As I meditated on Psalm 23, it became clear to me that Psalm 23 is incredibly comforting to myself and to many others, but it has more depth than I think many of us initially realize. And in fact, if studying it closely, There's a lot more that can be yielded than many of us perhaps have seen before. And so today I want to preach on Psalm 23 to you. Of course, for many of us, this is not just words on a page, but something that's alive in our lives and has been for many years. But today, bear with me as I work through this psalm, and I think deepen our knowledge of it, and therefore our comfort under this theme. Blessed are those whom the good shepherd leads. And we'll see the shepherd, and we'll see the shepherd's care, and the shepherd's hope. Let's begin with the first lines of Psalm 23, which of course, the immortal uh, words of verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. These are incredibly comforting words. But today I want to start with, what what does such a thing mean to say that the Lord is my shepherd? I would argue that there are two things that come from those simple words. The first one is, if the Lord is my shepherd, then I am his sheep. Verse 1 could be translated as, although obviously far less poetic, But it could be translated as, God's sheep, I lack nothing. I don't know about you, but my wife and I watched a recent show about a man who bought a number of sheep for his farm. He purchased 76 sheep to join his farm. And the sheep are astonishingly inept. They are the definition of what is unwise as they consistently do exactly the wrong thing for what's good for them. They are expensive to own, it turns out, and they require constant and consistent medical care, and they're largely defenseless against any sort of attacker. And it struck me on that show that to say that I am God's sheep is to say that I am a fluffy, white, four-legged ball of foolishness. This is what it means to be a sheep, at least in poetry. But of course, this isn't the whole story about sheep, is it? You see, if sheep are well cared for and led, they are actually tremendously useful and productive animals. They provide food, often milk, although we don't drink sheep's milk anymore. They provide material for clothing, and they can even provide love. And often there are many stories in the Bible that talk about such a thing, especially with David and Bathsheba and how Nathan corrected David. But sheep can only be useful if they are well cared for and led. And here's a really what my probably true theme should be. The well-being of sheep almost entirely depends on who cares for them. need you remember this. The well-being of a sheep almost entirely depends on who cares for them and how he cares for them. And so we have our theme, blessed are those whom the good shepherd leads. Or, And we could say the opposite, right? Unfortunate and harassed are those who have no shepherd or who have a bad shepherd. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus says In Matthew 9, verse 36, and he says this: He says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Why did Jesus have compassion on these crowds of Jews? Why? Because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had great compassion on those who were lost, who didn't know him. Sheep need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. Now secondly, what is a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? And especially, what did a shepherd do in Palestine? Now, I had to do some research because our images of what a shepherd does or doesn't do is actually from England. And the way the English shepherd their sheep is not the way the people in Palestine used to shepherd their sheep. And I had to do some research and I found a, a 1910 issue of Scientific American, a magazine, And there was an article in there about an author who had spent time with shepherds in Palestine at that time. This is very important because in 1910, Palestine or Israel, whatever you want to call that area, largely was what it was thousands of years previously. The land was very poor, it didn't look like it looks today, and the people there lived largely as they always had. And he talked about what the shepherds were like at that time, and I'll give you some quotes He said, listen, the shepherds live entirely with their flocks. Night and day, their sheep and goats are their sole friends and companions. Again, in the English or New Zealand or Australian shepherding, the shepherd does not live with his flock. He goes home and maybe his dogs look over the sheep. Not so in Palestine. The shepherds live with their flock day and night in the open elements. Now another quote. The shepherds of the holy men are are men of some initiative and intelligence. Their business is at once an honorable one, yet full of difficulty and danger. Now listen. For this reason, many of them carry heavy wooden clubs and even slings to defend themselves. This is the rod, and we'll come to that a bit later. With these weapons, the shepherd protects his flock from wild beasts, hyenas, leopards, panthers, or wolves. But his worst enemy is not the wild animals of the country, but the roving Bedouins, other men, nomads, who are always making raids and carrying off sheep. And this would have been true in David's time as well, especially in, in, in the south of Israel where he lived. The result is listen to this. Even today, many a good shepherd is called upon to lay down his life for the sheep, because shepherding is dangerous. Here's another quote. The shepherd goes on in front and the sheep follow behind. And the, the principal duty of the shepherd is to lead the sheep from, sh- from pasture to pasture as the pastures of the Holy Land are easily exhausted. Again, very different from the image of the shepherd that I think many of us have. There's no dogs. They lead from in front. They're constantly moving. They sleep with their flocks. They have to defend the flock with weapons. One more quote. He said, I do not remember ever to have seen in the east a flock of sheep without a shepherd. On some high hill across which at night the hyenas howl when you meet him, sleepless, far-sighted, weather-beaten, armed, leaning on a staff, looking out of his scattered sheep, every one of them in his heart. You understand why the shepherd of Judea sprang to the front, why he gave his name to their king, why Christ took him as a type of self-sacrifice. So we realize that there's a lot more to being a shepherd than many of us perhaps realize. The key point that the author makes is that the sheep of Palestine cannot live without a shepherd. In order to flourish, the, the sheep need a certain kind of shepherd. And the big idea of Psalm 23 is that human beings are the same. You cannot flourish or survive or or have anything good without a good shepherd who cares for you every minute of the day. That's why Jesus says in John 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I am the good shepherd. No one else is the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, verse 1, David reflects this when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay. So now we know what the shepherd does. Now let's work through the psalm as David describes what it was like for him to shepherd his sheep and how that is an image of his life with Jesus. Right? So let's start with verse 2. He links me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, Sheep apparently don't lie down if they're hungry or stressed. They also won't drink water from a stream that's moving too fast. Apparently. Hence, he makes me lie down in green pasture so with Jesus I can truly rest. And a wise shepherd leads his flock to a place of abundant pasture and calm waters. Jesus is the same. God, the Father, is the same. Your God, your Lord and Savior, is spending his time and his energy leading you to green pastures and still pools. He wants to lead you to a place of peace and security. That's what he does. Now you're going to counter and you're going to say, Well, why is my life so full of grief and stress then? Yes the world is full of grief and stress and loss and death and pain but here what David is saying something a bit profound he's not saying that Jesus is going to give you green pastures or still waters necessarily in this life what he is saying is that he is the green pasture, and the still waters. God is the peace in this world. It's not necessarily that we look for peace and, and still waters and vacations or TV or the cottage, although maybe the, the cottage is a nice place to be. But the true peace and security in this life is knowing that Jesus loves you and died for you. That's why we eat we eat and drink the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the green pasture, as we eat and drink the death of Jesus. Rest and, and peace in this life are not found in any place except Jesus Christ and in the arms of your Father in heaven. Of course, Jesus does feed you, doesn't he? in addition to giving you himself. And of course, verse 3, he refreshes, he restores, rather, my soul. Jesus is refreshing and restoring your heart and your soul and your mind. This is why I prayed earlier about recreation. He's trying to make you into what he created you to be. Incidentally, this is why in the Reformed tradition we don't come to church and play loud music. We come here to be still before the Lord. Many of us will know that sometimes the only true refreshment, the, the best re- true Feeling of refreshment in the soul is to sit and worship and reflect on the Word of God and to live in the arms of Jesus. Nothing else in this world can refresh your soul like knowing Christ that 's why people in this world are so full of noise, so anger and striving and greed and noise and loud music it 's just endless. They're trying to avoid the fact that their souls are disturbed. But the good shepherd, in him, there's green pastures and quiet pools and stillness. Then there's more. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Remember, the good shepherd walks at the front of the flock and he leads his flock along paths between pasture to pasture. And this is a very regular occurrence because the pastures of the Middle East are easily exhausted. They're not like the pastures here. Now here, curious fact. When a sheep, when the flock is walking and a sheep strays, it's usually because the sheep is sick. According to the internet. I've never seen this myself. Maybe a shepherd here could say more. Anyway, but this is what the internet says. The point being, we're all prone to being sick sheep. Jesus is leading your church, and God is always working to lead the church of Alora on a certain path. We're always going somewhere. Right? We're not fully conservative in the sense that nothing should ever change. We're all growing. The question is, why do some stray from the path God has laid out? It's because they're sick. And we're all prone to that. We all want to wander from God's path and take our own paths. And the thing is that sheep are foolish. They're not very good at selecting a good path. For example, a few years ago in Turkey, a rogue sheep led 400 sheep over a cliff to their death. It's hard to find a better example, a better image to describe a cult. If left to decide your own path, you see, as God's sheep, you will plunge yourself over a cliff sooner or later. But the good path, you see, the shepherd is so good that he doesn't let you be wayward. And he, if you're too sick to walk in the right direction, he'll use his staff to, to bring you back. We could call that church discipline also, maybe, You see, the good shepherd is not a counselor that just listens to you and affirms everything you say. A good shepherd will challenge you and say, hey, are you on the right path? And he'll use his rod to knock you back into shape. I can think in my own life of countless instances when I tried to stray off the path of righteousness too. Usually you're able to wander a bit. But sooner or later the staff comes and the version of a pastor or a friend or, or an elder or somebody comes and says, hey, what are you doing? This is not a good path. Where are you are going? This is not going to end well. It's Jesus' staff in your life. Now, the good shepherd also keeps his sheep safe. But that doesn't mean that the the sheep will never face danger. The path of righteousness, in fact, is quite dangerous and it requires a lot of risk. Safety is an idol, by the way. It's not the goal of your life, as we discovered with COVID. There are countless threats to the sheep, right? And this is where verse four comes in, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now listen, often in Palestine, it's a, it's a sort of hilly kind of land full of canyons. And one of the riskiest parts of walking with the sheep on a path is you walk through a dark canyon where the sun doesn't shine. That's where wild animals and thieves are waiting to overpower the shepherds so that they can take the sheep. The sheep don't want to go into there, the dark canyon, because they know the danger. What's remarkable about David's psalm is he says, You got to walk through the canyon, you have to face the danger. You cannot sit on safety because you'll starve to death if you don't walk through the canyon to the next pasture. What is your protection as you walk through dangerous things, as death, the shadow of death hangs over your life? What is your protection? Is a mask your protection? Isolating yourself in your house? Is that going to protect you? No. Maybe. S- slightly. What's going to protect you when you walk into a life where the shadow of death is constantly encroaching on your life is, look what it says, for you are with me. The the good shepherd is walking ahead of you. And not only that, the good shepherd is with you, but look what he's got. He's got a rod and and a staff. This is interesting. So the good shepherd is my protection and my safety, even in dangerous places, because he has a stout weapon, because he's a big stick, and he's willing to be violent with those who oppose me. The rod was a thick club, often studded with nails. This rod or this club, the staff and the rod, were used to fight enemies. So one of the most comforting things about our Lord and Savior is that he carries a big stick. We often think about Jesus as Mr. Nice Guy. Jesus is, you know, uh, he's loving and kind, but he's also mighty and firm with those who oppose him. He has a bigger stick than Vladimir Putin. And he has a bigger stick than the sin that afflicts your life. The sheep know that they're safe because their shepherd will beat up their enemies. Now listen, the woman who asked me to preach this sermon, she lived in a homeless shelter system for 10 years. Maybe I mentioned this to you already. She lived on and off the streets of Toronto and Brampton. This is an inherently dangerous life. But Jesus, she knew a little bit about, enough about him to believe in him, but a lot much more, protected her time again and again and again. She says to this day that it wasn't her street smarts that kept her safe, but the fact that her Savior protected her. And even if something bad would have happened, Jesus would have been there to take her up to himself in heaven, even if death would have come. No other shepherd in this life can do that for you. Your money cannot do that. What do you think happened to those in the Ukraine who had lots of money? And troops poured over the border and took everything. And now what do they have? Nothing. It could happen here too, you know. The government says it can take money out of your bank account. Should money be your shepherd? As many of us think it is. But in fact, it's interesting that here is a woman who lived without money for 10 years and was protected by our Lord. And even says in verse 7, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And she ate in Homeless shelters and food banks and all these places in the presence of people that she knew was harmful. And yet, because she had Christ, she had a feast on the table. Not only real food, but the protection of knowing that somebody big had a big stick. And she never starved in 10 years. It's interesting. I I, want to carry this forward a little bit. I think most of us We think that if we lost our money and our houses and our church community and our families and all the stuff that we have, we think life wouldn't be worth living. Most of us psychologically could not survive the loss of that stuff. But here's a woman who did it and survived and grew stronger. Do you believe that that could happen to you? Because the irony is, brothers and sisters, that if those things are actually your shepherd, then you won't need the good shepherd. And, worst of all, you won't see how good he is. It says in, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Who anoints his head with oil? Jesus, the Savior who died for him. The death of Jesus Christ is what fills the cups of our lives. Sometimes the fact that we have an overflowing cup of real oil, or real food, or real drink, means that our cup of Jesus is empty. Again, it's not the... Possessions are not the problem. The problem is, what's their relationship to your heart? Many of us think we couldn't live without it. We cling to these things as a drowning person clings to a life raft because we think that they are what keep us safe. I know that because I grew up the way most of you did. Access to good education, a good middle-class upbringing... Regular vacations, a good church community. I think for most of my life, it's been a struggle to to say, yes, Jesus is my only comfort. And do I even need Jesus? Or why not just live in these things? It's way easier and it's more tangible. But Psalm 23 is saying to you that Jesus is better than that. As good as all those things might be. See, our Psalm 23 is, my way of life, my possessions, my community, my family, my job, my career is my shepherd. With them I shall not want. But Psalm 20, the real Psalm 23 is, the Lord is my shepherd. With him I shall not want. Jesus Christ and his death are the only thing that you need to have a full cup. He is the banquet in the wilderness. The table. It's his rod and staff that protect me. Is our third point. The beautiful thing is that even though we're tempted by all these other things, the shepherd is still faithful to you. We were baptized into his name, and the shepherd is still using his rod and his staff right now as I preach to bring you back, bring me back. And the shepherd is even better than most of us can even conceive, but he has a shepherd's heart which beats with a pure and generous love for you all the time. He has a shepherd's eye. He's constantly watching his flock. He can see exactly what's occurring. He knows which sheep is straying and which one is falling and which one has a broken leg and needs to be picked up. And a shepherd's faithfulness. He's so faithful to us that he will fight our enemies for us. And he has a shepherd's tenderness for you. There's no lamb so tiny in the flock that he won't pick it up and hold it to its chest and carry it for as long as it's needed. There's no soul so faint that he won't give it rest. He pities as a father and comforts as a mother. He covers us with his feathers and underneath of him we can just rest and feel at peace. Now what sort of vivid illustration of this? I don't know if it's a true story, but some evidence suggests it is, but it'll tell it to you anyway. The story goes like this. Some time ago a gentleman England was taking a holiday. And he came in on his holiday while he was climbing in the mountains. He came across a boy leading a flock. The stranger entered into conversation with the lad and he said, Listen, do you know the 23rd Psalm? The little boy said, No, I don't. I've never heard it. The gentleman said, "Uh, Let me teach you the first sentence. The gentleman says, "Say these words after me. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. The boy repeated these words. And then the gentleman said, now repeat each word again and count a finger as you do so. The Lord is my shelter. Shepherd, sorry. And he said, when you do that, next time you do it, grip the fourth finger tightly The Lord is my shepherd. The stranger went his way, and the boy told his parents of the strange gentleman in this lesson in the fields. The following winter, the snow fell heavily in that district. And one day, the boy and his sheep were missed in the heavy snows. They were discovered in a deep drift and after the sheep had been dug out, a search party came upon the boy and he had died. But as he had died, he had his fourth finger held in his hand. I tell you this because that is Psalm 23 in a nutshell. You don't need to know a whole lot else except that you need to grab that fourth finger. If you do that, if you can do that in faith, Psalm 23 is the comfort that will lift your heart. Because your Savior knows you. He doesn't need anything from you. He's there for you no matter what you think you have or what you think you don't have. As long as you hold on to Him, and even the power to hold on to Him comes from Him. He's faithful enough to be there for you if all you can do is grab that fourth finger. Those who know this can say the last verse of Psalm 23, which says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy shall follow those who can say, The Lord is my shepherd every day of their lives. May we be able to say that congregation, and this congregation too, if some of you who may be here today and you're a bit younger and you wonder, can the Lord be faithful to me for my whole life? And sometimes it's healthy to talk to those who are in their old age, those who may be 80 or 90 years old and sit down with them. There are people like that in Brampton. For those who have lived their whole lives under the shepherding of the Lord, Psalm 23 is not simply a... Words on a page, but it oozes out of them as they speak and as they think. Talk to them, if you should wonder, whether he's like this. And if that's not enough, you can always come to Brampton or to one of the other churches where there's those who lived without God as their shepherd for many years and who returned. And they'll tell you what kind of shepherd Jesus is. Because they can tell you that it wasn't because they were so smart or so capable or so good at seeking truth that they came to the church. But it was because Christ sought them and brought them, often kicking and screaming with his staff. That's what kind of Lord you have. Beautiful shepherd, the heart is ready to care for the smallest, weakest sheep and yet a heart that's stout enough to protect the strong sheeps from themselves. Never abandons his people. He's not a hired hand who flees when danger comes, or works for a wage. No, he is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he laid down his life for you too. Everything else may fail, But if he's willing to die for you as the shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep, then that means his love and his goodness are going to follow you every day of your life. If only you would be led by him. Blessed are those whom the shepherd leads. Amen. we can sing in response hymn 35